It is a winter wonderland in downtown London. Hey, thanks to Devin Peacock for filling in last week. Are you just getting back to work today? I'm just getting back to work today. <sighs> that was a vacation. That was that was all right. I don't mind the way that winter's treating us right now. Winter wonderland right now, but it's going to not last. What are we at? We're approaching zero. At some point during London Live, we should hit zero. And then all of this snow should start to melt. I don't want any more of this. Can you believe this winter? I'm having trouble with it, but dealing with it. I haven't skied as much as I would like to. Hello to everybody over at Boulder. Make sure you head over there. Temperatures have been cold enough for them to create snow, so everything has been fine. We've got a lot of interesting things coming up today. We're going to take a look at the calendar year that will be 2019 as it pertains to what they're doing in terms of transit and waste and some of the other environmental programs that are coming at us in 2019, there are a lot of new things starting up. So I want to get you on top of all or on top of that right off the bat. And we are also going to be talking about the right to be forgotten. Wait a minute. Do we really want that? The right to be forgotten. Is this like when Macklemore said, and I know he's not the only one to have said it, but he's the, one of the most recent ones to have said it, that you die twice when you die and then the last time somebody speaks your name? No, that's not what this is. This is, and think about it now, because in an hour we're going to talk with Internet Law Specialist Alan Mendelson. Here's how it works. If you have had something happen to you or you have done something, and let's say it's a crime, for instance, and you've served your time. Whenever somebody Googles your name, what's going to pop up? Convicted of. Probably. It's probably there. Depending on what else you've done in your life, it will be there. So the right to be forgotten kind of started up in Europe. And it's the idea that somehow we can take all of those things that you would rather not have still holding your name and get rid of them. So that when someone did search you online, they weren't there. You've started over. What would you go back and get rid of? I mean, people are involved in the odd viral video. Were you slipping up a driveway, falling and flipping around like a fish out of water? Would you like to get rid of that? How exactly would we do this? It sounds pretty complex. So we'll dig into it in about an hour from now. We are also going to be talking with Dennis Marouk. He's on the show, a man who scored 60 goals in the Ontario Hockey League and is one of only 20 people ever to have scored 60 goals in a single NHL season. He will join us because tomorrow he is going to be inducted into the Don Brankley London Knights Hall of Fame. The inaugural class is going to be inducted. Dennis will go in with Walt McKechnie, with Dave Lowry, with Tim Taylor, Chris Taylor, and Rob Shrimp. And we'll also talk with another former London Knight and the current president of the London Knights Alumni Foundation, Rick Doyle. And he will go through how the selection process has worked, because it's pretty neat to see what has been put together. And it will go into effect tomorrow, because that first class will be enshrined. Matt Schwab is going to join us. He's a spokesperson for the Liberation Project. You know the smells that Maple Leaf plans to have with... The rendering and the things you'd rather not have in your backyard. You want to talk NIMBY, this is it. Well, Matt is a spokesperson for the Liberation Project, and we'll be talking with him in about 10 minutes. We hosted over the holidays. You know the fun of hosting? Actually, it wasn't that bad, because my side of the family isn't that big. There were 10 of us, 
total. So that's not bad. But my niece came down. And I don't know if you've ever seen anyone like this before. I certainly haven't. My niece is three. And we would be watching a kid's show. We watched a movie. And at one point, one afternoon, we watched Scooby-Doo. So picture Scooby-Doo. What's the typical storyline for Scooby-Doo? Fred and the gang with Scooby and Shaggy are in the... Uh, the mystery machine, and they're driving around, they go somewhere, and they end up finding something that isn't quite right. Maybe somebody's stealing something, maybe somebody's ruining something, and they have to track down who's doing it. It's usually a ghoul or a vampire or whatever. And my niece does not cheer for Scooby and Shaggy and the rest of their friends. She cheers for the monsters. And I thought it was phenomenal. She will look at you and say, when is the monster coming back? And at first I thought it was because, well, you know, you're three years old. You probably don't like the monsters, right? No, no, she, she's really intrigued by them. Because later on in their visit, about a day or two later, we were watching a movie called The Stork. Or it is the, I don't know, is it The Stork? Is that what it's called? It had a stork in it. it. had a bunch of storks in it. And the movie premise is that they deliver babies, and it's one of these well-done, cartoony kind of movies. It was fine. But there is a pack of wolves that chases after the storks. And what they're trying to do is take one of the babies away from this stork and give it to some other guy who's kind of the evil guy. And you don't really see him much. He has a very tiny part. Uh, and I'm trying to think of who voiced his part. It was somebody famous with a big voice. Doesn't matter. The wolves were chasing after the stork. My niece is cheering for the wolves. She's hoping for the wolves to be able to catch up because they could get the baby. And they weren't doing anything bad to the baby. They had it at one point. She was quite happy about that part. And they were going to give it to somebody else. Cheering for the bad guy. Does this mean she's just ultra competitive? Is she going to be a leading businesswoman in our world? That's what I'm thinking. Because she's a really nice little girl. I'm not worried about her or anything. I slept fine with her in the house. But I'm thinking that just maybe she's going to have a certain quality that makes her very successful because she's willing to cheer for the bad guy. I know we're trying to make our world so much nicer. I'm not sure it's going to work. I, I'm really not sure it's going to work at all. And here's an example. Last night, Cody Parkey, who was a kicker for the Chicago Bears... Steps up, and he's in that either enviable, because you can be the hero, or very unenviable position of having the opportunity to kick the game-winning field goal and send his team on in the playoffs. You miss the field goal, you're out. And the other team wins. So that's where he stood. And a timeout was called because the Philadelphia Eagles had one timeout left just before Cody Parkey attempted a kick. And he actually kicked the ball, and it went through the uprights. And it would have given them the win and, whoa, Chicago Bears, move on. Exciting stuff. Because timeout had been called, he had to do it again. This is a common practice in the game of football. So Cody Parkey steps up the second time and dings it off the left up upright, and it hits the middle bar of the upright and bounces out. One inch more, and it might have bounced in. It was that close. And it has been looked at again and again and again. Of course, Cody Parkey felt awful about this, but it's been looked at again and again and again. 
And there may have been a Philadelphia Eagle fingertip that tipped this. In fact, one of the players said, yeah, I got a piece of that. So it may not have been his fault. But the anger expressed by Chicago Bears fans after this happened, here's just a sample from somebody who does some sort of internet radio show. His name is Barstool Carl, and... uh, I just want to know how you think Barstool Carl is feeling today. I'm wondering, did he get it all out? $8 million, $10 million, $25 million. I don't know how much Cody Parkey's getting paid, but that little from South Florida can't make a kick. How much opportunity do you need? How many fist kicks? 11. 11. That's how many. 11. Seconds long. When I cut out all the bad words, it became 20 seconds long. So he was a lot angrier than what you just heard. He was a lot angrier than what you just heard. Give it a rest. Really? I mean, why do we have to express this much anger? You, sir, were at a game. At the end of the game, somebody wins, somebody loses. I know that because you're some kind of internet guy, you're probably doing this so that people pay attention to you, and it worked. It really did. People have really enjoyed watching all of the things that you yelled about. But uh, I know New Year's resolutions don't last. That guy needs to put on a happier face. You think he can do it? I'm thinking no. I'm thinking that's our friend Barstool Carl all the time. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how we become happier in our world. But here's hoping we can make it happen. So lots still to come. Next up, we are going to look at a pretty difficult situation. We talk a lot about not in my backyard. Before the holidays, we were talking about it with regard to where they were going to put the safe injection site, the permanent safe injection site. We've looked at it in terms of living downtown and people not wanting noise in their backyard. What if somebody was going to plop a rendering plant in your backyard? You know, think of South London and the stack that goes up that creates an aroma. And I'm not not willing to say it's a bad aroma, but it is an aroma. And it's one that you may not want to have around your house if, if you you know, want to sell your house one day, you have to say, well, it does come with this kind of funky smell. It's it's not necessarily awful. It's not bad. What if it was just absolutely horrendous? What would you be doing? Well, we're going to talk with a spokesperson from a group that is trying to do something, anything, because of what is going on in their backyard. This is London Live. You're listening to Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Okay, to understand our next story on London Live, we've got to look back just a little bit. We've got to look back at the announcement that came from Maple Leaf that a $660 million plant would be built. Inside, we would have Maple Leaf Foods Ontario Fresh Poultry Processing Operations. It would be finished by mid-2021. It would be big. It would obviously provide jobs to build and jobs to run. And the spot is along 100 acres on Wilton Grove Road, just south of the 401. The idea would be to have a startup in the plant in the second quarter of 2021. So there are a lot of positives to this. We also have the other side of things because a site has been selected. We have the side of things that says, what about my backyard? 
What about what this is going to do to the area? And we have heard from some individuals just today. A group of London residents, they have called themselves the Liberation Project. And what they have done is they have filed a formal opposition to the proposed chicken processing facility with the Ontario's Ministry of the Environment. Let's find out what their concerns are. Joining us right now is Matt Schwab, who is a spokesperson for the Liberation Project. Matt, I hate to ask how Monday's going. Is it going about as well as I think it's going? Yeah, well, um, I'm grateful to be here, Mike. Thanks for having us, and we're happy to have this opportunity to discuss these important issues. So, well, thank you. Then let's get to it. If we're to discuss issues, number one on your list, what is it? Uh, so today we'd like to discuss the slaughterhouse that uh, Maple Leaf is proposing to build on uh, Wilton Grove here in London, and some of the environmental consequences associated with uh, that slaughterhouse that's being proposed to be built. So we talked about the slaughterhouse. This is a big project. I mean, we're talking about 1,450 direct and full-time jobs and part-time jobs. We're talking about a $640,000 square foot plant. When you look at, at some of the concerns, what have you outlined? So what we see is a very massive building that is has been designed to uh, kill chickens where, you know, 300,000 plus Chickens will have the unique experience of being gassed to death. And for what? For a slaughterhouse that will produce um, discharge that goes onto a provincially significant wetland, um, discharge sewage that may affect the Great Lakes. And we're looking at a large amount of nitrogen oxide, a very potent greenhouse gas uh, being released into the atmosphere in the surrounding area. Um, so it's quite concerning for Londoners. Okay, so we're looking at, at discharge that concerns you. We're looking at how these particular birds are being dealt with. That concerns you. What exactly have you done to express those concerns? Uh, so we've started to participate. Uh, there's currently two environmental compliance approvals um, on the environmental registry for the Ministry of Ontario for the environment um, that are available for public comment on the environmental concerns related to air emissions and sewage. Um, so members of our group have started to voice these concerns to be investigated more thoroughly and uh, addressed by the ministry or Maple Leaf. So we've started to submit formal, uh, you know, complaints uh, related to these concerns, and we encourage other Londoners to participate in that process. We're talking with Matt Schwab, spokesperson for the Liberation Project, which is asking everybody to take a look at the proposed Maple Leafs Food Chicken Processing Facility that will be located on Wilton Grove Road, just south of the 401. So in terms of, of how it's operating, that's a concern. In terms of where some of the waste will go, that becomes a concern. Anything else that becomes a concern for that particular area? Uh, yeah, the property is also home to at least 20 endangered barn swallow nests, um, which will have to be relocated. Um, there's obviously an odor that will affect the surrounding area in addition to the other uh, gases released. Um, it's also not specified in any of the reports that we viewed where blood or feathers from all of these killed birds will be transported and what impact that will have on the environment, the surrounding area, or anything. Um, we just simply don't know. Now, Matt, how come you are as passionate as you are about this? Uh, I grew up in London. I'm obviously very invested in seeing the city move in a sustainable 
direction for our environment. Um, so a proposed building that its sole purpose is to uh, slaughter chickens and add more violence to our city in addition to uh, discharging sewage into significant wetlands and creating greenhouse gases and odor uh, is just concerning to me as someone who grew up here and someone who's going to live here. And I think everyone who has any sort of concerns about these issues should be uh, more vocal about it and bring all these concerns into the public discourse surrounding the slaughterhouse. You know that you're going to have people who say, yeah, but this is creating over 1,000 full and part-time jobs for an area that has been needing jobs. And you know what? Chicken is sold in grocery stores, and that's not going to stop anytime soon. This is going to happen somewhere. What do you say to that? Uh, well, I'd say that it, I mean, it simply just doesn't have to be this way. There are ways to support jobs that don't uh, harm our environment in such a significant way. And when the world's top climate scientists are demanding great cuts to our emissions, you know, we're not going to have a future to have jobs in if we continue to ignore um, these critical environmental issues, particularly when they relate to our surrounding area. So my hope would be that people can kind of uh, add some more critical thinking to that dialogue around jobs and say, are these jobs that we really want as a city, and do we need to be cautious about these other concerns? It can't just be as simple as, well, their jobs, so it's okay. Well, Matt, we really appreciate you giving your thoughts today. And again, if anybody was interested in more, one of the things you can do is go to the government's website that deals with environmental issues. That's ebr.gov.on.ca. We've got that here in studio because a government website is never easy to remember, it seems. But (laughs) ebr.gov.on.ca. Matt, anything else you want to add before we go? Uh, No, I just want to thank you again, Mike, for having us on to uh, have this important conversation and just encourage Londoners to uh, participate in this dialogue about these environmental concerns and uh, express them. Matt, thanks for the time. Oh, thank you. That is Matt Schwab, spokesperson for the Liberation Project. So what do you think? Here are the two sides. One, creating not just over 1,000, but 1,450 direct and full-time or direct full and part-time jobs. So that's that's one thing. We are playing host to a 100-acre site that will have a 640,000-square-foot plant on it. So that's big. That's showing industry that you can come to London. But look at what Matt has said. Should we be selective about the kind of industry that we want to have here? This has already been announced. This is already in the works to have up and running by mid-2021. But Matt and the Liberation Project are saying, hang on, hang on, let's have a closer look at this. Let's look at what this means for the surrounding area. Let's look at what this means for the environment. What is most important in this? Is it the jobs and the idea that, hey, if we don't do it, somebody else is going to do it? We were dealing with that in a conversation about the contract that is held by General Dynamics before the holidays. If we're not doing it, somebody else is going to step in and do this. So, you know, that's that's one reason that you don't just say, oh, well, we're going to make a stand here because this is going to happen somewhere else. And if we all of a sudden show ourselves to be difficult, then what is another company going to say? 
Phone lines are open, 519-643-2222. That's 519-643-2222. You can also email mike at 980cfpl.ca. Time for a couple of calls right now, and then we'll pick up the conversation in a few minutes. What is most important? Is it the idea that we get industry, that we get jobs, or do we need to be looking and being selective in how a particular company may operate, what some of the byproducts of their operation might be. How important is that? 519-643-2222 or email mike at 980cfpl.ca. We'll go to the phones with Marilyn. Marilyn, how are you? Oh, I'm just fine. Thank you. And Happy New Year to you and Kirsten and um, Kylie and Jack. Have I got them all? You've got them all. And did you, Now, I'm afraid to ask you this. That Santa Claus, did he bring Krista, uh, Krista a dog? He, he brought her two painted walls, oh. <laughs> but he did not bring a dog. But I got the walls painted, Marilyn. Oh, good boy. Well, that's okay. <laughs> the thing I like about cats, they'll use the litter box. True. Where a dog true. won't, you know. What do you think we should do about this? Are you in favor of bringing in a plant? or Well, would you... uh, if it's uh, to bring in jobs, yes. Well, it but does now... bring in jobs. Um, is it on farmland? It is. Well, it's it's on a hundred acres, which are oh, available. Oh yeah. Well, you know, I'm sort of sitting on the fence there because uh, we're going to be running out of farmland. All these uh, subdivisions that are going up. What's going to happen? Because Southern Ontario is the heart of uh, fruit and vegetables and, you know, that type of thing, and uh, animals grazing. No, you bring up a good point. You know what? Here's something we're going to be talking about in the future. There's a great agriculture show that is coming to the London Convention Centre, and I'm eager to hear from them on a few issues like that. So, Marilyn, you say you're worried about the farmland, but at the same time, if it's bringing jobs... It is a good idea. Marilyn, we got to run for news. Thanks All so right, much. Dear. We'll talk soon, okay? Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year. Bye, dear. Bye-bye. Silas, everybody else, hang on. Emails Mike at 980cfpl.ca. We'll talk more about this in just a moment. Next up, Jacqueline LaBelle and news. This is Global News Radio, 980cfpl. If you are just joining us, we were talking with Matt Schwab. And Matt is a member of a group called the Liberation Project. They filed a formal opposition to the proposed Maple Leaf Foods chicken processing facility with the Ministry of the Environment. They say that there should be environmental concerns over this. This is going in on Wilton Grove Road south of the 401. They say that the facility site is home to at least 20 endangered barn swallow nests. They say that stormwater management works include three oil grit receptors, three stormwater management facilities in the form of dry infiltration basins that will discharge, and this is the key, they will discharge right into a wetlands. They say that there will be wastewater that will go by gravity to a City of London municipal sanitary sewer. And they say that the facility is going to produce nitrogen oxides, about 83% of the maximum allowable. Uh, They point that climate scientists are demanding for greater relative cuts than what are deemed the maximum allowable. So they want to have that heard by the Ministry of the Environment. It brings up the question, this is slated to happen. This is not, hey, guess what? Maple Leaf Foods is thinking about. This has been announced, slated for opening 2021. So we can bring in 
over 1,400 full and part-time jobs and open a facility that, yes, does kill chickens. Or we can look at this and say, hey, what kind of industry do we want to bring in and should we ask for certain, I guess, finer points as Maple Leaf opens this particular facility? Where do you stand? Because it's two clear-cut sides. 519-643-2222. Silas, thanks for hanging on. Where do you stand? Hi, how are you doing this day? And thank you for having me on your show. I'm great. Uh, my stand- oh, good. <laughs> uh, my stance on this is, um, see, like, it's kind of drawn in between. You got people who are for this humane way of um, sustainability of the environment, which is all good and all, but I think it's hard to outweigh this, uh, the jobs that it's going to bring in in such a society where we live in now, where people are struggling with even getting employment in any way or sort of form, like as a blue collar worker myself, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough, bad business out there. Like it's, you almost got to push almost three times the extra mile just to, um, I guess, secure a job position, but there's nothing wrong with that. But I, what my problem is, is is this really about the environment or is this just more or less about people that are, you know, this um, humane way of, um, I guess, making animals deceased, which I, I don't understand. We've been doing this for years, if not millennials. Um, we eat, we have to eat animals. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, so, there could be some of that in there as well. Absolutely. I totally understand the opposition of where this, you know, but you said not until 2021, correct? Yes, that is when they're hoping to open their doors. So I don't see the issue with that. I can, I, they're obviously going to find ways within that time period. That's not until three years from now. Mm-hmm. They're going to figure out a way on how they can maybe drift this towards uh, a more safer way about how they go about this. Yeah, it'll but be interesting just, to see. You, you raise a good point because between now and then, we are going to see the standards up. I firmly believe that in terms of how businesses operate because we're going to have to fit under all kinds of different protocols when it comes to any kind of environmental disruption. Exactly. Like even think about like um, even what the previous um, caller was um, suggesting about how farmlands and stuff like that. Like you can't tell me that the grass is greener on one side or the other because they've been using prior before we were not allowed to use certain pesticides, they were spraying their fields like crazy. And it was a lot of people didn't comment on that. They just thought it was a natural way of life. So how is this any different? You raise some excellent points. Silas, thanks so much for taking the time to call. Thank you. I love discussions like this. We've got two clear cut sides, but Silas found a way to kind of bring it to different areas. 519-643-2222. Let's go to Kevin. Kevin, what do you think about this? Hey, Mike, how are you today? Pretty good, thanks. Uh, I, I love your show. You always get the two sides going on. You like to hear the both sides of the story. But, um, yeah, the, I don't know. It seems a little seems a little excessive. That guy kind of needs to back off a little bit. It seems like he would not be in favor of this plan in the first place because of, because of what they do. I mean, I work, yeah, I work near there. The smell probably isn't going to be fantastic. I've been inside of a place that does that before, and it does not smell fantastic at all but people get people getting work that need it and things like that and i don't know i kind of like that idea but yeah uh birds kind of navigate i don't know 
barn, the endangered barn swallows or whatever that he's trying to protect. They'll find a different spot. They'll they'll find they'll find somewhere else. They'll find somewhere else to go. I feel. I I just feel he wouldn't be for this plant because of what they do, no matter what. Kevin, thanks for the call. Thanks. Bye. Take care. 519-643-2222. Phil, how do you feel about this? Mike Stubbs, first-time caller to your show. Enjoying it very much. Hey, appreciate that. Thanks for taking my call. Um, So it comes down to the question of due diligence. Has a city and its corporation in trying to attract new business here done its due diligence um, in, in attracting this particular manufacturing plant? I mean... We have annexation. We know the areas that are going to be uh, built up for industrial and residential. So that's nothing new. What's new is a, a plant decides to set up roost, no pun intended, um, in our fair city, in an area that's been designated for industrial uh, <clears throat> uh, uh, industry to take place. So those who are getting on board now after the fact and tooting a horn saying how detrimental could this be to our environment, I'm hoping that our city has some uh, some intelligent people there that have done this kind of due diligence, which is now uh, part of doing business. Be back in the day, not so long ago, it was like ketchup. Oh, we didn't do a proper assessment here. We better we better do that before we give the final say. Well, now you can't go over that bridge until you've even done your assessment. Uh, you know, in terms of how it's going to affect the e- ecology of the environment, uh, uh, economic impact. You know, all these other assessments that the government now requires. Uh, um, for people to sign off on when you are setting up new business and industry. So I'm thinking the, the city of London is got to put out their, their banners as open for business. Come on in. We'll welcome you. The, the question remains, what kind of industry does London want to be known for? You just go up the 401 a little ways to Kitchener-Waterloo. They're quite definitive in the type of industry they've uh, attracted over the years. Um, and that planning went on 30 years ago. So now they're starting to see the fruits of all that labor. We're going to need um, commerce to come into the city, not only in retail, but in the industry. And what is the type of city that London wants to be known for as it relates to uh, commerce, um, those who are buying products and services, and those who are manufacturing products and services. So again, I'll bring it back around. I'm hoping that our managers and city uh, controllers have done their due diligence before they even made that public announcement of this industry coming into town, and that all the boxes have been ticked. Now it's just appeasing those who are sort of sticker shocked and saying, well, wait a minute, did you look into this? Did you look into that? Uh, Mother Nature will look after itself, and it always done that, and it's done that even better when we have prudent people looking at the welfare of Mother Nature. And like I said, those barn swallows and your previous caller, they'll find another place to roost and, and set up home. Uh, the wetlands areas around there, that whole parcel of land has been designated for industry. It sat vacant for all this time. Nobody, now somebody wants to set up a shop there, and we're welcoming them in. Why is that such a big surprise? So um, it's just, I think it's people getting caught after the fact and surprised that, oh, wait, we really didn't think hard and long about this. But I'm saying our city controllers and our mayor and those who are um, promoting our, Lund- our fair city of London, Ontario, uh, should be doing those kind of things when they are attracting business. Phil, great first call. I can't wait to see what you bring with your second call. Hey, thanks, buddy. Have Take a good care. day. Bye-bye. Well, Phil raises some great points. And you know what? You don't get to this point 
unless you have gone through all of the proper channels. And let's, as we close out this conversation, let's take a moment just to say that no one is arguing that Maple Leaf Foods is doing anything wrong in any way. In fact, if you look at one of the specific details from the Liberation Project, and if you're just joining us, the Liberation Project is a group of London residents, and that's what they've named themselves, and they have filed a formal opposition to the Maple Leaf Foods chicken processing facility that is due to open in 2021 that would bring with it over 1,400 full and part-time jobs, direct jobs. This is not, well, this will help some people in Kitchener. Ah, it'll help a few more people in Guelph. This is direct jobs to this area. And they have said that they have some concerns. And they outline one of them. And one of them is that this facility will be within 83% of the maximum allowable production of nitrogen oxide. So, in other words, it's not at 105%, it's not at 125%, it's not at 1,000%. It is within the allowable. What the Liberation Project has said is that, you know what, we're all trying to be better, even be better than that. And that's one of the things that they've looked at as a concern. They've looked at those wetlands, but Phil brings up a great point. There hasn't been anything there for a while. There's a hundred acres. Maple Leaf has not said, can we shoehorn something in here? Can we just kind of fit this in? There's a hundred acres that they're going to be making use of. This is a 640,000 square foot facility. So this becomes, again, the question of do we want to designate that we are we are this and phil brought that up do we want to say this is what we are in terms of industry in terms of manufacturing and do we want to say okay well it doesn't matter what you're producing doesn't matter what you're doing we're in bring the jobs and that's how you can look at this or you can say do we want to say ah, let's make sure that we're very careful about who we've allowed i'm going to hope that city hall has done exactly what phil suggested that the due diligence has been done there are byproducts of everything. That's why we get into not in my backyard. But in our backyard right now, having 1,400 plus jobs, direct jobs, that's a good thing. I know our employment rate, our unemployment rate is, is kind of where we, we have hoped it would be. I mean, we're hitting all-time lows here and there. But at the same time, you know, this is what we need. We are going to see industries change. You know, we're going to see more automation. We're going to see it become increasingly difficult for people to find work in certain areas. This is work that's being promised for the foreseeable future. What do we do? Let's take a break. If you have any other notes on this, please email Mike at 980cfpl.ca. In fact, a couple of emails have come in. I'll get to those in just a moment. We'll outline what else we're going to be doing on the show. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Got some emails to get to on this topic. One from Carrie. Carrie says, we do not have to be concerned with how companies contribute environmentally. They need to be concerned with it. What control do we have? We can express opinions, but when all is said and done, it is their call, not ours. Got another email that has come in from Susan. 
And Susan says she's out at an appointment, didn't get to hear it. Hey, you know what? Uh, didn't get to hear our interview with uh, with Matt Schwab. Susan, you can always find it, and I'll find a way to get you the interview. Don't worry. But uh, you can always find anything that you may have missed at 980cfpl.ca. You go to our shows page, and you also have a podcast of London Live that you can use later on in the day. If you happen to be doing something out and about, and you can find that on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your favorite ones. Uh, Al says, this is why a lot of people don't believe the government really wants to fix global warming. When it comes to big corporations with big money and jobs, they get a pass. But the little guy has to pay more to heat his house in wintertime and pay more for our fuel. It's okay for a big corporation to create pollution at a, quote, limit that some government agency says is acceptable. It's amazing how fast this gets passed when it's big money. Always about money and power. Al, you're exactly right. Follow the money. Ashley says they're going to build it regardless, no matter where there will be environmental impacts. As the industry advances, we need to learn to work with and compromise instead of fight advancement. Someone will get this plant, and if our city can be improved financially, maybe City Hall will have a larger budget to help with environmental improvement. Our city is an ecosystem. Everything improves with our when our employment rate rises. Ashley, thank you for that. Five one nine six four three twenty two twenty two. Dave, you wanted a thought on this. Hey, Mike, this is all smoke and mirrors. They're closing three plants down, moving down here. The entire government's giving more than half the money. I don't know what London's giving them. It's not going to create fourteen hundred jobs because everybody gets to transfer for whatever company they were the company they're with now down here. So wait a minute. You see that the closure of three other other manufacturing plants will lead to people simply transferring to new jobs. They've already been, they have to, they're a union company. Okay. So they all get transferred down here, right? We even got some people that work here now who's the union rep that works in Stratford. And uh, so, like, we're not bringing all these jobs down here. You, you're going to bring a couple because some of the people won't move, right? Mm-hmm. But most people, if you're living in, in uh, Guelph or Toronto where the other plant is, yeah, you're going to make a fortune on your house and move down here. But then you got to move your whole family. Like, it's all smoke and mirrors. So, Davey, uh, but you're saying because this is a union-operated facility, they would not be hiring new people for the most part. They would be hiring whatever jobs were not filled by people who did not want the transfer. That's right. And plus, it, they're dropping 300 jobs, right, because of the automation. So... Closing the three plants, minus 300 people, 1,400 people are going to be there. It's, it's just smoke and mirrors. It's all it is. And you and I are paying for it because the Ontario government and, and, and London is giving them all kinds of money to do this. Well, Dave, I'm really happy you called because now we can look into exactly how those jobs would translate. And I will certainly look into what London is contributing to bring the plant here. Yeah, because it's... All we, all we, they're bringing enough money that we pay their wages and the company makes the profit. It's the same thing as Toyota and, and Woodstock. The Liberal government gave them like uh, $275 million. When you look at their payroll, it's probably $240 million. So they get, we pay for their wages and they get all the profits. Dave, we'll look further into this. Thank you for leaving the discussion off there. Really appreciate it. Right, bye. Have a great day. Okay, well, there's something to look into for tomorrow, for sure. 
Because if it's going to create jobs, that's one thing. If they are existing jobs, then that is another thing. And maybe, you know, maybe that's my own short-sightedness not seeing that way. So thank you, Dave, for cutting through the smoke and seeing in the mirror. And we'll look into that and try and get an answer for tomorrow. Let's take another break. We'll let you know what's coming up after news with Jacqueline LaBelle next. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Is having any industry... In your area worth it? Should it be a certain type of industry? How closely do we have to monitor these things going forward? As Dave pointed out last, you know this, this was kind of a done deal. Yes, London got the plant, but he says look into the workers a little bit more. These workers are not, it's not going to be open the doors and hire over 1,400 workers. More to come on that. Thank you for the discussion. That was great. Up next, we are going to have, I hope, an interesting discussion out of an interview that will take place just after news. And it will look at the ability for you to be forgotten online. What if you could get rid of something that you really didn't like about what happened in your past and just have it disappear so that... People weren't reminded of it, or when people were going to hire you, they couldn't Google your name and have it pop up, because that is a big factor. That is how a lot of employers deal with hiring these days. You can show your resume all you want. They'll look at that. They'll talk with people you've worked with before, but they're going to Google your name. What if something comes up that you'd like to get rid of, and you have the right to get rid of because, you know, take criminal offense, for instance, time served. You have done your time. Should you be allowed to do it? What goes into doing it? We're going to find that out. Next is Jacqueline LaBelle. She has news. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. This is something that I can't wait to talk about. Goes back to 2014. Goes back to a court case was brought forward by Mario Costea Gonzalez, a Spanish man who was very interested in having Google change what was popping up when people searched his name. There would be news articles about financial troubles and that he was in financial trouble every time somebody searched his name. Well, Mario kind of got frustrated with this because... His financial troubles had been solved long, long ago, and this was still popping up. So he decided to challenge this. And right now, Canada's privacy commissioner is looking for a court decision on whether Canadians have the same right. Angus Reid actually did a poll on this, and as you might imagine, Canadians are pretty supportive of this. One in five Canadian adults which is the equivalent of 5 million people, know someone who has had a problem similar to the one that Mario Costea Gonzalez had in Spain. Negative information that pops up whenever somebody searches their name. And you might think, well, how often is somebody Googling your name? Okay, um, ever apply for a job? They're not just Googling your name. They're looking up your address on Google Maps. They are looking at every social media feed they can find. People want to know who other people are. They want to know who they are hiring before they hire them. The resume is not it anymore. The references are definitely not it. Here, call these three people who love me. That's not going to give a good enough representation of who somebody is. They're going to call past employers. They've done that. But right away, 
they are going to look at social feeds and they're going to look online. If you have a social feed, here's what some of the job searchers who are at the highest levels say. They say you have to treat, say, your Twitter feed as your resume. You have to think of it that way. What do you mean? If you already have a job, maybe you don't. If you're self-employed, you certainly don't. But if you are looking for work, you've got to treat your Twitter feed as a resume. What you put there has to be something that you wouldn't mind having a prospective employer read. So that's something that becomes pretty concerning. And then if we've got things that are out there that aren't accurate anymore, well, that's really concerning. So what do we do about this? Well, we look into it a little deeper with someone who has a whole lot of expertise. Please welcome to London Live, Internet Law Specialist, Alan Mendelson. Alan, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me, Mike. We have heard this erasing or deleting, or I don't even know how it would work, (laughs) removal of information about somebody on the internet is the right to be forgotten. Can you kind of describe what right to be forgotten is all about? Sure. Well, I think you did a a pretty good introduction. Um, I was listening to you before with respect to the case that comes out of Spain, uh, which we call the Google Spain case, where the court said, well, you know, this guy had these financial troubles, but it was way too long ago. And so we are going to say that um, that the information should be removed, or at least Google should no longer link to that information. Um, now there was a bit of a there's a bit of an issue in that the court, the European courts based their decision on some European law. So while there's a right to be forgotten in Europe, while it was first found in that case, um, and it has subsequently been added to the new European law, um, here in Canada, we are not so lucky, and it's much more difficult, if not impossible, to get things erased from the Internet. You would think it would just be impossible, completely, end of story. Google or any other search engine would just say, that's really hard, Uh, not much we can do here, goodbye. So in Europe, this is a thing? This is absolutely a thing in Europe. It is codified. Uh, you know, there was this big, big European privacy law that came into effect of May this year called the General Data Protection Regulation, the GDPR, which many people have heard of um, because people were getting emails about it, even here in Canada, for unrelated reasons. But in that GDPR, um, it is clearly says that you have a right to be forgotten, or it's called a right to erasure eraser, excuse me, in the law. Um, But under particular circumstances, you can go to Google or you can go to any number of companies who have published information about you on the internet and have it removed. We're talking with internet law specialist Alan Mendelson, and we're talking about the right to be forgotten, something that does exist in Europe and something that Canada is now looking at because the privacy commissioner is looking for a court decision on whether Canadians have this same right. Alan, what do we know about that particular thing? Well, it's it's quite interesting. In fact, the privacy commissioner about a year ago came out with a position paper that even based on Canada's current privacy laws, specifically a law called PEPEDA, that that law, and based on their interpretation of it, that we actually did have a right to be forgotten here in Canada, or at least what the Office of the Privacy Commissioner called a right to delisting, meaning that Google should delist the search results in certain circumstances. This was met with 
surprised by experts, uh, including myself, because we could not believe this interpretation. Um, and as part, it's a, it's a bit of a nuanced legal argument that I don't feel like getting into, but as part of that um, determination that they made, they sort of made one very large leap of faith, shall we say, as to what Google does. And so what the Office of the Privacy Commissioner did was they went into court in October, November of this of last year to ask the court if, in fact, Google acts in that particular way. Um, and so we're all sort of waiting for the court to rule on that decision to give us a better idea if, in fact, we do have some sort of right to be forgotten here in Canada. Now, maybe we can go through how you carry out being forgotten because we're always told, hey, whatever you post, good luck. That's there forever. And it's something that we make sure and tell to kids. Hey, if you put that picture of yourself out there, that's going to be out there forever. How, <laughs> how possible is this and, and how complete is this? Well, this, you know, uh, first of all, I think we should distinguish two different situations. Um, what you just mentioned was the situation where the person posts the information themselves. In those circumstances, for the most part, I mean, if you're posting something on Facebook, you can remove it. If you have posted something on most sites, you can get it removed yourself. The right to be forgotten is more about when people have posted, other people have posted information about you. So I, I just want to make that clear. Okay. But whether, you know, whether in fact that is feasible to answer, you know, your first question and how you go about it for the most part. And I deal with this all the time because potential clients contact me to say, Alan, this pops up in the search results, this conviction that I had 10 years ago, or these problems that I had 20 years ago, I'd like to get them removed. And their request is always the same. Can we get Google to stop having it pop up in the search results? So from a practical perspective, you know, I, I think everyone, the easiest thing to do is just to have Google be the you know, the, the gatekeeper, well, it already is the gatekeeper of the Internet, but as the gatekeeper of the Internet, it would be easy if we could just say, Google, remove that link in your search results. And it would be possible for them to do that then? Oh, goodness. That's, that's the easiest part of it. The technical part of Google not indexing a web page that has bad information so it doesn't pop up in search results is, is the click of a mouse, essentially. It's not complicated <laughs> at all. We're talking with Alan Mendelson, Internet Law Specialist, on the right to be forgotten so that if you do have, as Alan just alluded to, a prior conviction and you have served your time for it or it is so far in the past that you don't want it popping up all the time, that you have that forgotten when people happen to be searching your name or searching something about you. Alan, in terms of the proof that would be needed legally is is there anything that that needs to be shown or documented in order to say yes that's this has the right to be forgotten well again that's that is the real tricky part here you know the there's nothing i mean it, it's it's nothing really to prove it's just if let's take the european law for example you would just have to say look this has this outdated information but then you'd have to walk into court and use there's a whole bunch of factors listed in that gdpr that i was mentioning before um and you'd have to show that you know that that you no longer the the phrase that's used in the law 
the data is no longer necessary and really it's kind of complicated but you know you'd have to have a court determine that it 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 fit into those criteria whereas here in Canada frankly there's no criteria to evaluate at all so you know until we actually have some guidance in the future here in Canada there's virtually nothing you could do about it anyway how close do you think we are to perhaps having that change well i i think it's it's very close, um, maybe not very close, but close. There are all sorts of, there's one government parliamentary committee in particular um, that recommended we codify, that we put into law a right to be forgotten. This was a big report um, that came out last year. And there's sort of a, an important technical reason for that and it involves the fact that Canadian privacy law should be more in line with European privacy law. And so if European privacy law has its right to be forgotten, Canada should have it as well. So that's part of the reason that, you know, the parliamentary committee recommended we put it into law. So between that recommendation and between the Office of the Privacy Commissioner's opinion that has come out, you know, um, it, it's closer than you may think um but it you know as all things in law and government uh, it's not around the corner you deal with a lot of clients and i don't want to look at anything specifically but i do want to look at what this means to somebody who has let's say information that they would rather not have that is truthful information or as you said sometimes it isn't truthful information sometimes it could be exaggerated information when it keeps popping up what does it mean to people to have the ability to get rid of that oh, it means everything and there's no question it, it it's very important it's, it's you know, people's businesses suffer as a result of old and outdated information, um, you know, and people's personal lives suffer for that very same reason. You know, the, the, so it, I, and I've heard enough stories like this from people to, to know how difficult it is. You know, before this segment ends, however, you know, you do, I would like to mention the, the flip side of the coin is that, you know, we talk about, the person's right to be forgotten, but there's the flip side of the coin, which is the rest of the world's right to know. And who is going to make a determination as to how old and how outdated this information is? You know, as a potential employer, I may want to know and I may have a right to know that my potential employee had a drug conviction five years ago. That's pertinent information. So, you know, I, I, I think we do need to mention those two sides of the coin. No, I really appreciate you doing that and mentioning the other side of the coin because it does bring up a big conversation that I think we're going to get into next. Alan, thank you so much for outlining this. It's been my pleasure. Have a great day. Take care. That is Alan Mendelson, Internet Law Specialist on the Right to Be Forgotten. So Alan spelled out the second side at the end of that. What exactly... Should we allow? If you are an employer, do you have the right to know someone's entire personal history that when they were 15 years old, they got picked up for drunk and disorderly? You know, that's that's maybe maybe that's that's a, a an example that needs to be changed. Let's say, OK, when they were 18 years old, they got picked up for a drunk and disorderly. They're now 46 and you're thinking about hiring them. Do you have the right to know what they did when they were 18? All of us were morons at 18. It's part of being 18. You do dumb things. You try not to do stupid things.
It's kind of it. So what exactly should we look at in terms of rights here? Is it the rights of the individual to say, that's behind me? I'm a new person? Or is it the right of somebody, in this case, an employer or the rest of the world, to know that, yeah, well, that person did that? 519-643-2222. We've got some time for you to weigh in. You can email mike at 980cfpl.ca. That's 519-643-2222 or email mike at 980cfpl.ca. The right to be forgotten. If you've been convicted of an offense, if you have had a bankruptcy, if you have been included in the world's dumbest acts, you were that guy that drove the scooter down the ski hill, you're a dummy. Do we have the right to know that you did that because it's out there online? 519-643-2222. Email Mike at 980cfpl.ca. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980cfpl. We're talking about the right to be forgotten. We've got about five minutes. Coming up, we are going to be talking about the London Knights Hall of Fame. The first inductees will go in tomorrow as the Knights take on the Guelph Storm, and we'll have a conversation with one of them, Dennis Marouk. Scored 60 goals in the OHL, scored 60 goals in the NHL. He is part of a very tiny list. In all of NHL history, 20 players have scored 60 goals. Some of them are named Mario Lemieux and Wayne Gretzky and Steve Eiserman. One of them is named Dennis Marouk. He'll join us on the show. We'll also talk with the president of the London Knights Alumni Foundation, and that is Rick Doyle. And he'll talk about the process that was put in place in order to create the Hall of Fame and the process that they go through in order to induct players. On the topic of the right to be forgotten, just received an email at mike at 980cfpl.ca, and I have no problem doing this. If you want to send me an email and write this at the top, it says in parentheses, please do not use my name. I have no problem doing that. Here's what the note says. As an employer... I want to know everything about a prospective employee, and like you described, I do my research. I go as far back as I can. That being said, I have interviewed people who you might think I would have avoided. I believe in finding the right person for a position. I also believe in second chances. Hmm. I like that. So, in the topic and in the discussion of the right to be forgotten, who has the greatest right? Is it the person who has had something happen in their past? And this is kind of where it goes to. And let me go back to the original example, the one that sparked a court case in Spain that everybody now references when talking about this. And right now, there is a committee that's looking at this. Canada's Privacy Commissioner is looking at this. And there will eventually be a court decision on whether Canadians have the right to be forgotten. Here's the original case. It took place in in connection with a Spanish man by the name of Mario Costea Gonzalez. He had had some financial troubles in his life. Those financial troubles had been documented. And anytime someone Googled his name, the stories of his financial troubles would pop up. And he would say, that this isn't fair. I have solved these problems. I don't have these problems anymore. Does the public have the right to know that I once had these problems? And he challenged that in court, and he won. And he won the right to have certain information 
about himself removed from search results. And when we were talking with Internet law specialist Alan Mendelson, he said that part of it's really easy. So this is not saying to Google, oh, can you get rid of all of these things? Well, you know, there's a trillion search results we're going to have to go through. No, I don't think we're going to be doing that because if we do it for you, we have to do it. For That's not the case at all. That's the easy part. He says, that's the click of a mouse. The tougher part is the court decision, deciding whether you have the right to eliminate that information about you or deciding whether the world has a right to know it. And how long should you be able to go back? If you have, as Alan suggested, a drug conviction five years ago, does a prospective employer have the right to know that? Does a prospective mate have the right to know that? If you're using an internet dating service, this sort of thing pops up because you shouldn't just take, hey, there's a nice person on the internet dating service. I think we'll get together. You know that you're going to Google them. You know that you're going to see what kind of social media they have. And you know that you're going to look at it. Why? Because it helps you to understand who this person is. I don't know if you saw the story about the guy who met the woman online. Did you see this? Guy who met the woman online, and since their meeting, she has texted him 169,000 times. Really? She has texted him a hundred and, and he finally had to get some kind of restraining. Oh, sorry. It wasn't 169,000. I'm wrong. It was 159,000 times in 10 months. And one text read this. You ready for this? I'd make sushi out of your kidneys and chopsticks out of your hand bones. So that factors into the conversation, too. Who has the right in all of this? It's one to think about because the decision will be coming. Do you have the right to get rid of information about you? Because now that woman has that information. When you search her name, and I won't give it to you right now, but when you search her name, if she is convicted, that's going to pop up. And everybody's going to go, I don't want much to do with this woman. She sounds a little too intense for me. Or does the world have the right to know it? Or does she have the right to get rid of it? That's what it boils down to. And it's a pretty clear-cut thing, but it's a very difficult decision to make. News is coming up next with Jacqueline LaBelle. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Got a final note from Al on our discussion on the right to be forgotten. Al says, in my view, you're in control of what you post on your own social media accounts. What you choose to post says a lot about your judgment. If you choose to post a video of you doing silly things, that's a silly decision. Making silly decisions can have consequences. Remember, you can do what you want. Your employer or prospective employer won't know what you did if you don't post it. Post wisely. Very wise words. Al, thank you for that. See, I'm somebody who has a lot of trouble understanding Facebook, I understand it, but I don't understand the appeal. Or understanding Instagram, I really don't understand Instagram. I understand it. I get it. It's a picture of a thing. It's a picture of you. It's show and tell, and it gets annoying after a while. And how many times do we see people come out and say, you know, it, it actually it, it affects how people feel. 
You look and you say, wow, look at all the fun things that everybody I kind of know or everybody that I call a friend is doing. Oh, look, they're doing that. I'm not. Oh, they're doing that. I'm not. And half this stuff is blown out of proportion or fake. You know that people put up things. Oh, there's a picture of me when I was on the beach in Guadalajara. Does Guadalajara have a beach? Help me out with my example. I'm not even sure. When I was on the beach in Cancun. Does Cancun, Cancun has an airport. Where am I going to go with this? When I was on the beach in the Mayan Riviera. I know it has a beach. Look at me. Look at my picture that I have. It could be a picture from three years ago. And then people think you're back on the beach. That stuff is done. I mean, come on. You know, you, you get to a point where you're trying to impress people you, with your posts. Give me a break. Or teenagers have a significant problem right now in that when they post something and they don't get a certain number of likes, they feel bad. You know, that's a significant problem. Do not worry about it. Every once in a while, blow out your Instagram. Erase it. See what life's like. The only reason you turn to it is because in our world anymore, we can't get bored. We cannot get bored. Because, well, I could just thumb through. Oh, yeah, look at that. That person's eating chocolate cake. Oh, that person's having a bath. That person's taking a trip to Italy. I don't know. I don't understand. I, I struggle to understand what the draw is. I really I need some help with that someday. Or maybe I don't. Maybe I don't. Maybe I'm just happy not having to look at that stuff all the time. I have an Instagram account. I got post once every three months. If it's significant, you know, here's a thing people should see or should know about, or here's a look behind the scenes at something. I don't know. I'm trying to participate. Well, let's talk about some guys who have done more than just participate. We want to talk about some people who have been the best of the best at what they have done as members of the London Knights. Because tomorrow night, the Don Brankley London Knights Hall of Fame is going to induct its first members. The actual induction may come tomorrow afternoon. But tomorrow night before the game, they will be honored as the London Knights take on the Guelph Storm. The Hall of Fame was announced last week. And its first members will be Walt McKechnie, Dennis Marouk, Dave Lowry, Tim Taylor, Chris Taylor, and Rob Schremm. And joining us right now is London Knights alumni president and television color commentator for the London Knights, Rick Doyle, to talk a little bit more about how this has been brought about. Because it's a fantastic initiative, and it's going to give an opportunity to honor Don Brankley and to recognize some of the greatest of the greats in the London Knights organization. Rick, thanks so much for being here. Oh, thanks for having me, Mike. Let's go through the creation of this Hall of Fame. I don't imagine it's something that happens, oh, over a weekend. No, not really. And and actually, you can go back to uh, uh, two years ago when uh, Branks had first passed away. And... Uh, a conversation took place between uh, Mark Hunter and myself at that time. And Mark was already thinking ahead uh, at that point to uh, the possibility of creating a Hall of Fame. And uh, he thought it would be a nice gesture, and certainly it is, that it was named after uh, Don Brankley. So in creating the Hall of Fame, 
How exactly does a committee look through and, and select the people who go in? Because I don't know if anybody has taken a spin through London Knights alumni, but if you go from A to Z, it takes a while. Well, there's there's no doubt that uh, we're going to have a lot of unanimous votes here over the next decade, Mike. I mean, you have a look at some of the names that uh, uh, we're dealing with here, and they're automatic that... Uh, they're going to get voted into the Hall of Fame. There's no doubt about it. And we've got a, uh, a foundation, the London Knights Alumni Foundation, that was formed way back in 2001. And uh, we've been active in the community for uh, that period of time now. So we formed a generational committee. And the generational committee has a member from each decade that uh, represents that decade. And those members are Rob Drummond and Ryan McKee and Jimmy Sandlack and myself and Dave Del Papa. And then we have uh, some non-players who uh, are on that committee as well, and Mike Lerner, Phil Griffin, uh, Bob Martin, of course, and uh, Mark Hunter represents the uh, the team on that committee. So it was uh, there was names pushed forward. And uh, uh, I'm happy to say all those names were unanimous votes. We're talking with London Knights alumni president, plus the television color commentator of the London Knights, Rick Doyle, a former Knight himself. And Rick, I guess if we're to break it down, can we actually go back and see through decades in this first induction class? Could, could it be being inducted in that way? It is being inducted in that way, Mike, exactly. Uh, on the ice tomorrow night, you'll have one player from each decade uh, represented. The only person that won't be there due to uh, commitments is Dave Lowry. Of course, he's the assistant coach for the Los Angeles Kings now, and uh, he couldn't make it. But uh, there's one player from each decade represented. And over the next few years, that's exactly how people are going to be entered into the hall because uh, we felt that that was the best way to do it and best way to represent the fans uh, of the London Knights with regards to uh, people they remember and some uh, memories that they have, fond memories that they have of those players. Rick, we're going to be able to speak with one of tomorrow's inductees, Dennis Marouk, in just a couple of minutes, but you've had a chance to talk with all of them. What's it like to call and tell them this? They were all delighted. Uh, and it's one of the nicest calls you could ever make when you're telling someone that they're going to be uh, inducted into a Hall of Fame and inducted into a Hall of Fame of maybe the best junior franchise in CHL history. And uh, they're all through the moon. They're all delighted. And they're all really looking forward to interacting with the fans tomorrow night. And that's just it. Tomorrow night, Dave Lowry, obviously, he's got a game with the Kings tonight and, and is unable to make it. But all the other guys are going to be able to be there? All the other guys are going to be there. And uh, uh, they're starting tomorrow afternoon. There's a press conference at uh, 3.30 at Budweiser Gardens in front of the Don Brankley London Knights Hall of Fame. And uh, they're going to be on ice at 7 o'clock, and they're going to be signing autographs in between periods, from what I understand. Rick, you knew Don Brankley so very well. What do you think he'd think of this? Well, the first thing he'd say is, you shouldn't have done that. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first thing that would come out of his mouth. And uh, 
uh, he'd be delighted. Now, I had the opportunity to talk to his uh, sister, Sharon Brzeau, who is also going to be on hand tomorrow night. And uh, Sharon was, she couldn't believe that the organization was going to remember her little brother in that manner. But uh, what other way would you want to remember Don Brankley after 38 years with the organization? And having all those close ties with so many players, it's uh, it's rather fitting that uh, this hall is named after him. Absolutely. Well, Rick, thank you for all your hard work in helping to get this done. And tomorrow promises to be a really special day. Thanks for the time today. Thanks, Dubsy. That is Rick Doyle. Color commentator for the London Knights on television and London Knights alumni president. So, let's meet somebody who is about to be inducted. Dennis Marouk, a guy who scored 60 goals in the OHL and 60 goals in the NHL, joins us next. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. We are talking Don Brankley, London Knights, Hall of Fame. You're going to be able to see it anytime you are at Budweiser Gardens. It'll be located up on the 300 level. And tomorrow, there will be six inductees brought in, and they will join anyone else who has had their number previously retired by the London Knights. And this gives you an idea of just how good each and every one of these players is. Joining us right now is a man who scored 60 goals when he was in the OHL. And then in the National Hockey League, he scored 60 goals in a single season. He is one of only 20 players in NHL history ever to do it. Please welcome to London Live, Dennis Marouk. Dennis, congratulations. Hey, thanks. Uh, great talking to you. Dennis, let's talk first about your London Knights career. If if you go back, what exactly stands out to you? To fans, they're going to say, well, the 60-goal season stands out. How about to you? Oh, geez. Um, you know, that was a real tough time. I don't think a lot of people understood how what things went on and transpired how I got to London. And, you know, at 16 years old, I was not a real happy camper uh, uh, being traded to the London Knights from uh, the Toronto Marlies. So, uh, you know, I was really uh, a player that uh, quit hockey at that time because I didn't want to leave Toronto. I knew nothing about London. Um, I knew nobody in London. So it was really a, a, a period of my, my, my life that uh, I had become a young man in a, in a, in a quick hurry and uh, decided to come to London and, and play for the Knights and having three great years there. And, and uh you know, the, the main thing was uh, the, the support I got from the fans uh, when I got there, um, you know, right from my first year being rookie of the year and then going on to my final year where I was being the most valuable player in the Red Tilson Award. So I owe a lot to, you know, the, the, the London Knight organization. Uh, you know, of course, Bill Long, uh, Howard Darwitson, and, uh, you know, again, Don Brankley, uh, who uh, every player will mention Don's name. But, uh, you know, it's just uh, I had three wonderful years there. Dennis Marouk joining us. And, I mean, you look at all of the things that you did in hockey, the fact that you are one of 20 players ever to score 60 goals in an NHL season, and yet what if you had decided to stop playing hockey? How close were you? I, I was pretty close. <laughs> it was, uh, 
you know, and there was I was young, and I was, uh, you know, uh, didn't want to leave family. I didn't want to leave my mom and dad. I didn't want to leave my brothers and sisters and my friends and, and move on to another city. So it was really a, and, and I, I owe a lot to my family. I owe a lot to my older sister who, who we sat down and like two weeks before camp decided to, to, to come to London. And if I, if I liked it, I'd stay. If I didn't like it, I, I, I'd move back to Toronto. And that's, that's the way it was. And, and as I mentioned with Bill Long, I had long hair and long hair was in. I told the Bill, it says none of the players can, can cut my hair. I want to keep my long hair. And he exactly went to the players. So, you know, was I a cocky guy? You know, I was a player that was going through a lot of emotional uh, stuff in my life, especially a, a young man. Uh, did I want to go to London? So it was uh, it was a challenge. But uh, when you look, when I look back to it, it was it was the best move I made because it gave me an opportunity to to show uh, in the in the OHL what I could do, and and Bill Long gave me that opportunity to. Dennis Marouk joining us. He will be inducted into the Don Brankley London Knights Hall of Fame tomorrow as the Knights take on the Guelph Storm. You can be there. There are some tickets available, 6810800. You can drop by the Knights Armories or go online to LondonKnights.com. If you're headed to the game, please be there just before 7 o'clock so you don't miss any of the ceremony. If hair was a concern then, and you had great hair when you played in the National <laughs> Hockey League, but you also had one of the NHL's best all-time mustaches. When did the mustache come in? Well, it was well junior there, of course, but I mean, uh, what I kept it and kept it going was uh, uh, the player by uh, baseball player Al Herbowski, relief pitcher. He was a mad Hungarian, and I I liked what he what he had the full man shoot there, and I just figured uh, I had a little mark, so I might as well, might as well keep it, and I kept growing it. So uh, I, I, I you know I have, have, and as a matter of fact, I have a goatee, and I will be shaving it to my full man shoot. No, that's great. For, yeah, for, for tomorrow. tomorrow. Yeah. That's yeah. fantastic. We're talking with Dennis Marouk. We've got a couple of minutes to talk some NHL. Yeah. You played some time for the Washington Capitals. They were a team that was just growing out of those expansion years. But you got to a Minnesota North Stars team that was pretty special, that got to the conference finals. And there you happened to run into an Edmonton Oilers team with Wayne Gretzky and everybody. Without that powerhouse Oilers team, how far do you think that North Stars team could have gone? Well, I think we had the team that could have upset them uh, during that the mid '80s series there, and we lost four straight. But every game, one game was in overtime. We had them in the third game in Minnesota. We're up four to one and lost seven to five. Uh, the last game was a real close game, four two. But we had we had a great hockey team there. There were some great players: Dino Cicerelli, Craig Hartsburg, Neil Broughton, Keith Payne, and Brad Maxwell, goaltenders Donnie Beauprey. We had a we had a great team and just that the the, the Oilers uh, Gretzky and the Oilers they were uh, they were phenomenal there they were the, the team of the eighties as, as I think a while ago they were just announced that and had a big parade about it and there was no doubt about it they were a team like the Montreal Canadiens years ago and you'll never find a, I don't think you ever find a team like they had. When you look back at that series, there were so many times where the puck was so close to going in when it would just hit Grant Fury, he'd make some unbelievable third save or or something like that. Right. When when you go back and and think about what that did for you, the, the North Stars stayed as a as a good powerhouse for a couple of years in that way. Is that something that that helped to build character on that team, or was it just uh oh the the team of the '80s is always going to be in our way? 
Well, I, I think that well, our team there in the North Stars, they're, they're, you know, for, for a couple of years, it was a mixture of different players, and they finally got a, a good group of players together that uh, worked, worked well, and, and it, just, it just kept going. It's a, it's a great franchise uh, at that time. Uh, you know, of course, now it's the Wild, but um, it just, uh, in the North Division, we were a strong team. And uh, to go to get by to get to the finals, of course, we had the uh, the conference uh, game we had to beat was the Edmonton Oilers, and and they've kind of struggled uh, as of today. They've been up and down with you know their team, and hopefully that they'll get they'll, they'll get better, they'll get stronger, and, and uh, we'll, we'll see what happens in the future for them. Well, Dennis, in the very near future, you are about to become one of the inaugural members of the London Knights Hall of Fame, and it brandishes the name Don Brankley. So we really appreciate the time today. Can't wait until tomorrow. Thanks so much. So can I. Thank you very much for the call. That is Dennis Marook. Let's take a final break. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Thank you to all of our guests today. Thank you to Winmar, your restoration specialists. Coming up tomorrow on the show, 2019 in London, environmentally. Thanks to Matt McInnes as well. News is next with Jacqueline LaBelle and Matt Trevithick on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL.